0: We're going to talk this morning, I want to talk this morning a little bit about Mount Zion and, you know, that's who we are. Who are we? Who are you? What church do we go? Mount Zion Church, Mount Zion Church. So I want to talk a little about Zion, but particularly I want to just emphasise Zion is a place of battle. And battles took place in Mount Zion. And so, you know, we are, we're living in the last days. And whenever the last days are mentioned in the word of God, you know, Zion is often mentioned as well. And Zion is very much uh, connected, you know, to the last days. In fact, virtually all the promises of God in scripture will come upon the church that is dwelling in Mount Zion you know, in these last days. Now, when we talk about Zion or Mount Zion, when we talk about Zion, there's basically three things, basically three, three different aspects of Mount Zion. And the first one, an obvious one, is just there's a literal hill in Jerusalem. And we were there on that hill a couple of years ago. And that hill is called, you know, Mount Zion. And geographically, Mount Zion is located, or in the time of David, it was lo- located on a hill in the so- southeastern part of Jerusalem. And in ancient times, it was called the City of David. And prior to that, it was the, inhabited by the Jebusites. And the Jebusites, they were the enemies to the people of God, uh, You know, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, one of those ites they so th- they were bitter enemies of, Is- of 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 Israel, but for many many years in fact for several centuries they the the jebusites, the enemies of Israel, they were the inhabitants of Mount Zion, and Mount Zion was the last and most difficult stronghold to be captured to be conquered, and it was more difficult to, to conquer than Mount Hebron. That was the previous one. And David, King David, and we've been, you know, hearing wonderful truths this morning about David and his life from, from Pastor Cook and the Adult Sunday School. And, and and David, who was a who was a man after God's own heart. He he took Zion shortly after his third anointing. He was anointed. He was anointed once by Samuel the prophet when he was just a teenager, maybe about 17. Then many years went by, many trials, many difficulties, bitter experiences, valley experiences, problems in the wilderness. And then the, the elders of Judah, the southern kingdom, they came to Hebron. Now, Hebron's a town which is south of Jerusalem. And it's about Hebron, it's about maybe about... Um, 45 minutes drive from Jerusalem, um, or about an hour's drive going south from Jerusalem. And David, he, he, when, when he was the, the elders of, of the southern kingdom, they came to Hebron, and they anointed David a second time at Hebron. And then after that, he reigned, not over all of Israel, but just the southern kingdom, just two tribes, and he reigned over them for seven and a half years. That was the um, seven and a half years. And then all of Israel came, the leaders from all the tribes of Israel, right from the north to the south. They all came to Hebron. And there they anointed David a third time. And so he received the third anointing at Hebron. And, and then immediately, then that third anointing was to be king, not, not just over the southern kingdom, but over all of the nation of Israel, and David was a man he, he was a man after God, he loved God, he was a man after god 's heart, and he took he took Zion shortly after this third anointing, in other words, after he'd been anointing the the, the main thing on his heart he had Zion on his heart and but there was a problem because the enemies who were in Zion, and a battle had to take place against the enemies, against the Jebusites. But his desire was to go to Zion. And then his desire was to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which was another, which was at another place in Israel, a place called Kyrgyz Jerem. And he, his desire was to bring the Ark, representing God's presence, God's power, God's glory. His desire was to bring that to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And so, um, he went with his men, his mighty men. And he went from Hebron. He went to Jerusalem. And there after, you know, then he defeated the, the Jebusites. And his desire was then to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Zion. And he, he brought the Ark. He erected a tent upon Mount Zion. He put the Ark inside it. And that was known as David's tabernacle. And from that place, you know, David, he worshipped the Lord, he loved the Lord, he he penned many of the Psalms, and the presence of God came. And that ark represents that literal presence and glory of God for the Shekinah glory of God, you know, covered the ark of the covenant. And Zion Zion was the ultimate destination of the, the children of Israel. and. God spoke to Moses way back in Exodus, Exodus 15 and verse 17. And God speaks to Moses and he says, You shall bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for you to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And so. The mountain of your inheritance, in the mountain of their inheritance—that is speaking of Mount Zion, Mount Zion—and so there was a journey that the children of Israel had. They had a journey from from Egypt to Mount Zion, and Mount Zion was God's holy mountain. And when they left Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, but we know that uh, miraculously, after ten. Plagues in Egypt. They were released from from Egypt, and they went on this journey to Mount Zion. And actually, it took four hundred and thirty three years. Uh, and there were three main leaders. There was Moses, then there was Joshua, and then there was David. Before they eventually came to Mount Zion. So, the first aspect of Zion is earthly Mount Zion. It's a literal literal hill in Jerusalem. Now, also the Bible talks about a heavenly Mount Zion. And the Mount Zion on earth in the city of Jerusalem is a type of the heavenly Mount Zion, which is in heavenly Jerusalem. There is Jerusalem in heaven, called New Jerusalem. And within Jerusalem, within the New Jerusalem, is a mountain, a hill in heaven. This is when we get to the, you know, after the millennium, the new heaven and the new earth. And within New Jerusalem is heavenly Mount Zion. So the literal Jerusalem, the literal Mount Zion in Jerusalem is a picture, is a type of the literal hill and the, lit- the heavenly Mount, the heavenly Mount Zion in heavenly New Jerusalem, and so there are both earthly Zion, there's the heavenly Zion. And in Revelation fourteen and verse one, Revelation fourteen verses one, John the apostle he has this vision. He sees into heaven, and I, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And that spe- is speaking of Mount Zion, but not the Mount Zion on earth. It's a Mount Zion in heaven. And God is giving John the Apostle that vision of that mountain, of that Mount Zion. And the Apostle John, he describes the city New Jerusalem. And he he describes the city, this this heavenly new Jerusalem. He describes it in Revelation 21 and verse 10 and 11. And it's beaming with 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 the glory of God. And I looked, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me that great city. That's the new Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So it's beaming with the glory of God. It's clear as crystal, clear as crystal. And to get crystal, you've got to grind glass. You know, many times, many grindings. There's many, many, much pain involved to become clear crystal. And then in Revelation 21 and verse 18, speaking of that heavenly city, and it says, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper and the city was pure gold it was like clear glass clear glass it had many grindings many trials but it's come out clear absolutely clear absolutely transparent absolutely transparent without distortion of any kind and you know zion is a place that's inhabited inhabited by the transparent ones and in Revelation 21 and verse 12, also talking about heavenly Mount Zion, it says, and had a wall great and high, and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And so there we see the number 12 is mentioned three times. 12 is in, in, the, in the scriptures is, a, is, a, is the number of government, You know, there were 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so Mount Zion is a city inhabited by those who are under God's government. Zion is not for the independent or the the lawless ones, but for those who have accepted God's corral, his bridle, his yoke, and realizing, you know, that even trials and valleys and difficulties, you know, God wants to work in them, through them, for our good. And so, you know, that's the only way we can come into the image and likeness of our Saviour and become more like the Lord Jesus. So we have one aspect of Zion, earthly Zion, in Jerusalem, a literal mountain, a literal hill. Then there is the heavenly Zion, which is in the heavenly New Jerusalem. Now, thirdly, the third aspect is Basically, there is spiritual Mount Zion, spiritual Mount Zion. And that should be our goal in life, our goal in our Christian life. That should be our vision. That should be our goal in our spiritual journey. And for all of us, we're all on a journey. And that journey started the moment we came to Christ. The moment we repented of our sins, we're born again, ask Jesus into our hearts. That's the beginning of the journey. And that journey continues on. We're still on that journey until the very day that we go to be with the Lord, or we, we, we die. And that's our, our vision, a spiritual journey going on with the Lord. And we want, we want Zion to be our spiritual guy, goal. In other words, you have a goal. You have a race you're heading for the finish line. And the goal in our Christian life, our goal for all of us, should be spiritual Mount Zion, to fulfill the purpose of God. And God has a glorious purpose and a different purpose for every one of our lives. And so the purpose of our Christian life is not just to get saved and and come to the Lord so that we know we're going to heaven. But it's to grow and to go on and progress in that journey and the journey to Zion, that road to Zion, as we heard in prophecy this morning. You know, it's, 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 it's not easy all the time. There are difficulties, there are valleys, there are trials to go through. And the purpose of our Christian life, as I say, not just to, you know, when we die, we go to heaven, no. But that we would, in this life, that we would go on to maturity, we would go on to perfection, and as the Apostle Paul speaks about it, that we should win Christ. We should win Christ. We, to win Christ is to accomplish everything that God's ordained for our lives, and that we would win Christ the apostle john he looks at little children he looks at those who are who are who are youth those who are young and then he looks at fathers and spiritual mothers and there's a progression from a child to a youth to a father fathers who know god who love god who have an intimate relationship with him mothers spiritual mothers mothers of israel and so there's a, there's a growing on there's a going on and so to hit that goal, to hit that mark, is in our journey we would come to Mount Zion, and spiritual Mount Zion. And let me say this: just because you go to a Zion church, that does that in itself does not make you have the vision of of, of Zion or Zion Fellowship, and. Is not just the church you go to it is something of the heart and something of your experience what is happening in your life and there are people who do not go to a Zion church but they can have a Zion vision they can have a Zion vision and sadly we have some people you know in Zion churches who don't have a Zion vision and we praise the Lord there are many other people in many other church many other churches who do have a Zion vision in other words a desire, to accomplish to win Christ to accomplish all that God's ordained for our life. And there was a journey in the, as you realize in the Old Testament, and that journey began in it began in Egypt. And if we have a map of the journey, it began in Egypt under Moses and they were killed told to kill the Passover lamb and and they were told they started there in Egypt. They were slaves there for some 400 years. Miraculously, God caused, released them from, from Egypt, and then they came to the Red Sea, an impossible, an, an impossible situation. But you know, God did a miracle, and they crossed over that Red Sea. But right at the beginning, their goal, they, they, in that journey, they went many places, all over the place. And they wandered round and round and round in the wilderness, and then they came up here. And it was many, many years later that they eventually got to the promised land, and then they got to Jerusalem, and then they eventually got to Mount Zion. So it's a it was a it was it was a long journey, and it was could have taken just a few weeks, but it ended up taking 40, 40 years. To to I'm um, sorry, forty years in the wilderness. But then, to get to Mount Zion, from there to there, it ended up taking 443 years, a total, uh, because of the enemies in the land, and because they did not, they did not get victory over the, the enemies that that are in the land. And there were, in our Christian life, you know, there's going to be ob- there's going to be obstacles. There'll be there'll be difficulties, there'll be obstacles, and we see this in the lives of great Bible characters. Tremendous obstacles, tremendous difficulties, tremendous tr- trials that Moses went through, that Abraham went through, that Jacob went through, that Daniel went through, that just about every man of God you look at in the word of God, as they to, to accomplish God's purposes for their lives, there were many trials, many difficulties, many valleys, many hardships that they had to face along the way. And so, going on this journey is like going through the different stages of our Christian life, and going on, coming out of Egypt. Egypt speaks of the world. To, when we get saved, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. They were protected. They were protected by the blood of a lamb, which they shed, and they put the, the blood on the, the, the lintel on the the, the side piece of the houses. And so, coming out of Egypt, coming out of the world, being saved. That's the first step in our Christian life, being born again. And then we come to the Red Sea, and you're crossing over there. And that. And that speaks spiritually of getting water baptism. And then they came. Then they came from the Red Sea. They came down to Mount Sinai in the third month. And the third month is when the, the Feast of Pentecost was celebrated. That speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the with the initial sign of speaking in other tongues, it is important, it is very important. In fact, we need it if we're going to go on the rest of our journey. But we must always remember, it's not our goal. We we need it, we we must pass through it, it's absolutely necessary, but that's not where we're heading, that's not our goal. Our goal is always Zion. That's the end of the journey, spiritual Zion. And then after, then they came into the wilderness. And then they came to Kadesh Barnea. And then they, there at Kadesh Barnea, you know that God told them to go up and possess the land. But because of fear and grumbling and unbelief, they did not inherit the land. And they had many trials to face in the wilderness. And God God will lead all of us into trials and difficulties and valleys and hardships. And they're going to be different from each one. You can't try and compare with somebody else because what God's doing in one person is completely different from what God's doing in somebody else. So but each one of us we're going to have to we're going to face trials, we're going to have difficulties. There'll be opportunities to backslide, to turn back, and many will not endure. In fact, Jesus said, you know, many will not endure unto the end. Jesus said the love of many will grow cold in the last days. But by the grace of God, we want to be those who have a clear vision. Who are going forward, who are going on, who are going to win Christ, who are going to spiritual Mount Zion. And so through that they, they came and eventually they came. Moses died, and then God raised up Joshua and they came up through the, the, the River Jordan miraculously. And that speaks of the crucified life. And then even in, in even when they came into the land, there were many the enemies, the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites. They had to overcome them. And and sadly, they did not fully overcome the enemy and they dwelt with the enemy and there were wrong alliances that they made and, uh, uh, and, and, and that, that caused you know, many problems for the, for the children of Israel. And it wasn't until David's time that they drove out you know, the last enemy and that, that enemy um, was, was the Jebusites. So in the time of Joshua, they, they went into their inheritance. They went into their inheritance, and of course, their inheritance was in the Promised Land, which was this area here that God had for them. But they did not totally drive out the enemies and possess the land. And that's the reason, 443 years before Israel actually drove out all of the enemies and possessed all of the land. And Mount Zion. Mount Zion you know, in Jerusalem was still in the hands of the Jebusites until David finally subdued them. And the Jebusites, they were the Canaanite inhabitants of Jerusalem. They were heathen, heathen people. Um, and Jerusalem was, was often called Jebus, Jebus, whom the people of Judah... Could not drive out, and who dwelt with the people of Judah in Jerusalem. So, from the time of Judah's occupation, and this is going right back into the book of Judges, Judges uh, Joshua, Joshua 15, and, and verses 63, and and also in 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 Judges 1 and verse 21, it speaks about it speaks about Jebus or Jerusalem, and they were the the inhabitants. You know, of Jerusalem and of Judah, we're not able to drive these enemies out. You know, year after year after year. Several hundred years went by until the time of David. And they were therefore known as the residents of the city of Jebus, well into the time of the judges. That's in Judges 19 and verse 11. Judges 19 and verse 11. And when they were by Jebus, the day was fast spent, and the servant said to his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn into the city of of the Jebusites and lodge in it. Now, in 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel in chapter 5, 2 Samuel in chapter 5, it gives an account of this battle. And And I just want to focus in a bit. You know, Zion is a place. There's battles. There's battles. And... And to get to Zion, there's going to be many battles we're going to face, many battles. And for David to take Zion, to conquer Zion, to defeat Zion, there was a tremendous battle. There was a tremendous battle. And the battle was against the Jebusites. And in verses 6 and verses 8 of 2 Samuel 5, it mentions there the blind and the lame, the blind and the lame. Maybe we could just put those verses... Up 2 Samuel Samuel 5 and verse 6. And it's speaking about the blind and the lame. And the king and his men, King David, and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. They were right there in Jerusalem. They were the enemies, the inhabitants of the land, which spoke unto, unto David, saying, Except you take away the blind and the lame, you shall not come in hither. Thinking David cannot come, thinking you know that David cannot come and take um, take Zion, take the J- Jerusalem, and so it's probably an ancient play on words, but the Jebusite defenders had such confidence in their fortress-like city that they boasted that even the blind and the lame could def- they'd be able to defend you know such a city, and so. David he called them all blind and, and, and lame. He was sort of you know calling all the, the all of the Jebusites that they were blind and, and, and lame. And then in verse eight, in verse eight, it says, "And David said on the on that day, whosoever gets up to the gutter, in, in the King James it's gutter, and, and in um, New King James and other versions it speaks of a water shaft." And smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul. He shall be chief and captain. Wherefore, they said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And so David called all of the Jebusites blind and lame. And he, he, he sent his mighty men in. There was Joab and some of his mighty men. And God gave them a great victory over the la- and the, the, remember, the Jebusites were the last enemy in the land. They, under David's time, they conquered all the other enemies. All the Hittites and the Hivites and the Girgashites and, and the other ites had all been conquered. These were the last ones to be conquered, the Jebusites. And David had a cunning strategy to take the stronghold of Zion from the Jebusites. And a, David saw you know, an underground tunnel that was part of the, the water system that the Canaanites had built to bring water from a, from a pit outside the city to the reservoir located within the city. And presumably by David's, presumably by the surprise by David's mighty men, they were able to climb up this water shaft, this gutter, in the water shaft or, or gutter, in the, and, and up the water shaft and to defeat the enemy, the Jebusites. And it's the same place where several hundred years later under King Hezekiah, some dug from one direction outside the city, and then the others dug an underground tunnel inside the city. And it was really long. We and walk, we've, we've walked through that before, walked through that tunnel. Cold, water was really cold. It was nearly up to the waist at, at times. And it comes out at the pool of Siloam, from the, the, the spring Gihun to the pool of Siloa. But the last, when we were there two years ago, we, we went into this tunnel, this underground tunnel. And there in the tunnel, we saw that this water shaft, which is going right down. I mean, you could see this water shaft going down. And uh, it was like a, a secret passage to get water. Um, you know into in, 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 into the city and you know it was quite amazing and then it was it was amazing in, Hezek, in in the time of Hezekiah even even underground tunnel tunneling without all modern equipment that they have today and they and they, they met and they met exactly at the same place exactly at the same place and then after that the water could flow from the spring gihun right through this tunnel and then into the Pool of Siloah. So anyway, God gave them a great victory. Now, what's the spiritual meaning of the Jebusites? The Jebusites. In Deuteronomy 7, it gives seven of the enemies. Seven of the enemies. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. And it gives seven of the enemies, and it lists them there. There's the Hittites, the, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Seven, and the last one, the last of those seven, is the Jebusites. The Jebusites. Now, in Proverbs chapter six and verse sixteen, it says there are six things which the Lord hates; seven which are an abomination unto Him. And there's a you know a proud look, a lying tongue, hand, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, running to evil, a false witness that speaketh lies, and the seventh one that the Lord hates—the seventh thing that the Lord hates—is those that sow discord among the brethren; those who sow discord or sow disunity amongst the brethren. And so, that's an—and—and and so the seventh one in Proverbs. Is those who sow disunity. The seventh one is in in Deuteronomy seven verse one is the Jebusites. So it's like, what is the last enemy to conquer? What is what is something we must conquer? And that is those who that sowing discord, sowing disunity, and often through the instrument of the body that that is sown is the tongue. The tongue, you know, death and life are in the power of the tongue. God, if we're going to go to Zion, we've got to be able, we've got to learn by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit to control our tongue, to control our tongue, and not to be those who sow division, not to be those who sow, sow, sow discord and disunity, not to be those who grumble and who gossip you know, with our tongue. And in James 3, verses 1 to 12, it tells us, the tongue it's just a little member of our body but oh it causes so much trouble and the tongue is the hardest member of our body to control but god wants to bring by the the power of the holy spirit to bring our tongue under the discipline and you know control of the holy spirit So we don't speak our words or words of criticism and mumbling and murmuring and complaining. We speak words of life, words of blessing, words of health, words of encouragement. And we seek to encourage and build up, strengthen one another with our tongues. Discord is the last and hardest obstacle to overcome. And true revival will never flow where there is discord and disunity. Judas... You know, he was a thief. He was a sower of discord amongst the disciples. You know, he goes and he, he, he says, well, we should have sold this ointment. What a waster of it. 300 pennies of silver, almost a year's wages should have been sold and given to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He was just going to pocket it pocket himself. But he was a sower of discord and of disunity. And He was removed from the 12th 12th before Jesus gave the new commandment in John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another, one to another. You can never have unity as long as a Judas is in a group, and you can't can't love treacherous false brethren. Even after three and a half years with Jesus, even the 12, they were arguing, you know, who is the greatest? You know, Peter, full of pride, Lord, they'll deny you, but me, no. I'll never deny you. James and John, they want to sit on the right hand, on the left hand of Jesus. Envy, jealousy, pride, and yet in just a short time, it was only about from that time, about 54 days, there was a deep repentance, and it happened quickly. There was a deep repentance, and God bought the, the 12 who'd been full of envy, bitterness, disunity, discord, and the 120, including the 12, and God brought them into an incredible u- unity. Acts 1, verse 14. You know, they were all of one accord, one accord in prayer and supplication. They were united in praying. They were united in seeking God. They were united in waiting and obeying the commandment of Jesus. Ten days they waited. 10 days. Many of them could have gone back home. Many think, many important things to do, but they waited. 120 of them. And then, you know, they were, it was on the day of Pentecost, of the Old Testament feast. And suddenly, you know, they, and it says they were, they were, they, they were there of, of one heart and of one accord in Acts, in Acts 2 and verse 1. And suddenly, Pastor Stephen, a couple of months ago, heard a message on suddenlies. And one of those suddenlies came. Suddenly, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The cloven tongues of fire and the power of God came down. They all began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit of God gave them utterance. And out of unity came revival. Out of unity came the outpouring on the day of Pentecost and and 3,000 got saved and miracles began to happen and the power of God was manifest and the you know the, the glory of God was so strong on, on Peter just walking along people in the shadow were healed. David conquered the Jebusites. and he took Mount Zion he, he got to Mount Zion. And that's the key. Unity, unity, conquering the Jebusites, to conquer the Jebusites, Je- the Jebusites, those who sow discord, those who sow discord, this unity amongst brethren, to, to, to overcome them, to, to defeat them. He took Mount Zion. And by the grace of God, as we cry out to the Lord, that God would, I mean, we, we thank God for the level of, level of unity we have. Thank God for that. But God is wanting to increase that so there's a oneness, there's a unity, there's a flowing together, there's a humility in our hearts and lives. You know, John the Baptist said, said, Lord, that I might decrease so that you might increase. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, there were two sisters, and they were they were arguing. They were we don't know what the problem was, but there was a there was a big contention. There was an argument between them, Eudoxus and Syntyche, and Paul has to write to them. You know, put things right. Come into unity. Be of the same mind. Be of—that's important. You are of the same mind. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And then Philippians two, in verse two, in verse twenty, it says, "Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded." having the same love, be of one accord, of one mind. One mind, one heart, one mind. And then in verse 20, you know, Paul is speaking about his son and the Lord, Timothy. And they're in perfect unity, one with another. And he said, for I have no man like-minded, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your estate, who will naturally care for your state, And they were like-minded. They were one heart, one mind, one spirit. Where there is unity, where there is one heart, where there is one mind, where there is one spirit, it opens the way for God to come, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, for revival to come, for the presence of God to come more and more in our midst. In Romans 15 and verses five and six, Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, like-minded, one to another according to Christ Jesus. And then verse 6, that you may be with one mind and one mouth. Glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've got... There are many battles to get to Zion but by the grace of God I believe God wants to put in our hearts, you know, a longing, a longing, not just to stay where we are on our journey but that we would go on, we would go higher, we would go deeper, we would go on towards Zion. Zion would be our goal, Zion would be our vision. And by the grace of God, by the grace of God, as we go on for the Lord and seek to let God to work in our lives, to purify us. You know, we're purified in the fires of affliction. We are chosen, the Bible says in Isaiah, we're chosen in the furnace. And a furnace is hot. But the only way to remove dross from gold is going through the fire of the furnace. And, you know, God has to, you know, put us through the furnace at times to remove dross and things in our heart. Maybe pride, maybe envy, maybe jealousy, maybe hatred, maybe unforgiveness. But the one we're speaking about this morning is, you know, discord, disunity. And that is a key. They could not get to Zion without defeating the Jebusites. And the Jebusites, they spoke of he that sows discord or disunity amongst brethren. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we bless you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives so far. But, Lord, we're not content with to stay just where we are because, Lord, we know you have so much more and you're wanting to take us on in your purposes and you're wanting to reveal yourself to us in new and fresh and wonderful ways. And, Lord, even as you gave David and his mighty men victory, over the Jebusites so that they could obtain Zion. Lord, we pray, Lord, you would give us victory. Give us victory. Lord, even over areas where there's been conflict, where there's been disunity, Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves. Lord, you've said we are to humble ourselves. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, to take the low place, to pave the way for unity and oneness. Lord, show us things that we might not even realize that are in our lives that are not pleasing to you. Lord, bring them to the surface. Create circumstances, Lord, that you would bring these things to the surface. Lord, that we can see what's in our heart. And Lord, we know the heart is desperately corrupt, is wicked and desperately corrupt. But oh God, cleanse our hearts, change our hearts, purify our hearts, cleanse us, bring unity, bring a greater unity, prepare the way for revival. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Just examine your heart. Just while every eye is closed, just while every eye is closed. If it is truly, you know, the desire of your heart to go on for the Lord, to go on for the Lord. even though there may be difficulties and trials. Nevertheless, you want to go on for the Lord fully. You want to win Christ. You want to be fathers and mothers in Israel. You want to accomplish his purposes for your life. You want to to let nothing stop you, letting your life count for eternity. If that's your heart and your, your desire, you want that vision of Zion to be to be birthed in your hearts to grip your heart so that you live with all your being for God's purposes. just lift up your hand. Lord, we thank you, put your hand down, Lord we thank you, Lord, for these many hands that have gone up this morning. Lord, you see our hearts. You see what is deep within. And oh God, Lord, even as so many have lifted their hands as an indication to go on for you, to win Christ, to accomplish your will and your purposes, to come into wonderful unity and oneness with other brothers and sisters. Oh, God, oh, God, Lord, we pray. Lord, see all this decision they've made. And, Lord Jesus, we pray. Lord, just not just another time they've lifted up their hands, but, oh, God, Lord, that you would work it out and it would become reality. Lord, we ask it in your precious name. Amen, amen.